0: Hey, it's Sunju.
1: and it's Sunjit. and this is All Over the Place. One, two, three, let's go! Hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. If you're new here, please be sure to check out our previous episodes, and we hope you like what we're doing and continue listening.
0: So for this week's episode, we want to address the concept of mental health treatment and therapy. Therapy has always been a sensitive topic and has always faced a tremendous amount of skepticism. So today we have a very special guest to join us in today to speak about this, a licensed psychotherapist, Salonia Singh.
2: Hello, everyone. It's so great to be here and I'm really excited to talk about this because it is so uncommon in our culture and I want it to become more and more accessible. So excited to meet you guys and share.
1: Yeah, so... Let's just jump in. Um, I think one of the things that really like leaned us toward um, contacting you was that you're also Indian just like us. And I, like you said, like in our culture, therapy is kind of seen as a bad thing. And in general, with teenagers I know now, not many people go to therapy. So it was really cool to see, you know, another young Indian um, female. As a psychologist and encouraging people, I know on your website it said that you wanted to encourage everybody to go to therapy, which was so amazing to see. So, um, how often do people shun therapy because they don't believe it is effective? Like, how often do you see that?
2: Well, you know, mostly the people that are contacting me are open to therapy, right? So, in terms of who's contacting me, everybody's experiencing an openness, but there's a little bit of caution, you know. I offer a a phone consultation before beginning where people get to kind of express their concerns. And a lot of people share like, Oh, I've never done this, or I'm not going to tell my parents, or I'm a little nervous, you know, what does this mean? So there is definitely a lot of caution and overall there's a stigma against therapy in our culture, but actually it's changing so much, you know, therapy is beginning to be cool. And I think social media and other platforms, um, you know, southasiantherapist.org is this amazing organization that has um, a listed directory of all South Asian therapists, which makes it so much more accessible because our experience is really unique. So most of the people who are reaching out for therapy that are South Asian are wanting to have that feeling of being understood that doesn't really exist, you know, when you're speaking to a white therapist and or a therapist of a different um, background. So it's becoming way less stigmatized because of these social media platforms, because of celebrity culture, and just how people are speaking out about therapy in a positive way. So I've seen actually a really positive decrease in stigma, but overall, there's still hesitation, I would say mainly in older generations. So like our parents or our aunts and uncles. So it's changing quite a bit, but I think the more that we do stuff like this, like what we're doing here today, just talking about therapy and the normalcy of it and how it can be beneficial, it can help a lot. I also think that a majority of why Indian people or South Asian people are nervous to start therapy is because we're raised with certain family rules. And one of those common family rules is you know to not speak with anyone outside of the family about family-related stressors or about problems that could be deemed negative there's this desire to kind of keep everything looking good so I think therapy is a very vulnerable space for many of us and many of us have never gotten to be that vulnerable in our family system so it makes sense why we're nervous to start therapy but I've seen such a great shift with people loving therapy and getting so much out of it so I think it's only going to change in a positive way from here yeah
0: I think it's definitely very true, like the aspect of our culture where we constantly want to keep things within our family to make sure like there's a good image maintained. I think one of actually the running themes that we had in our podcast is that, like how we need like a great reputation, basically, like reputation is everything. So, yeah, that that's very like relatable. Um, and mm-hmm. so you specifically mentioned, you know, like uh, older generations are more skeptical of therapy in general. Um Would you say that as well is changing, like uh, not our generation, but the generations older than us? Would you say they're also becoming more uh open to therapy, and obviously, like they're not as influenced as stuff like social media. So, what would you say might be causing a change for older generations? Well, I'll
2: give a personal example. So, when I became a psychotherapist, you know, initially my family was like, why not just be a doctor if you're going to go into this field? So I was like, I don't want to cut people open. So they were initially hesitant, but then seeing the positive change that me, you know, working in this field made, they've been super supportive now. And my dad actually has a charity organization that's specifically aimed towards South Asians and representation. And he chose to have a mental health um, workshop that lasted a few days. And in that workshop, I really got to speak to the older generations in a way that is so rare, right? We can't access them through social media. They typically don't reach out for therapy. So being able to normalize and destigmatize therapy for, you know, over a hundred people, I think it just starts from those moments where an aunt or uncle, even just one is open to therapy and they tell their friends about it and then they share. So even my dad being able to speak about it with his friends and his social group, It all just starts from there. And I think that's the only way to do it is through those personal interactions because, you know, as soon as someone we know is doing something and we trust that someone and we see that someone is not crazy or having a lot of problems, we can also have an openness of, okay, maybe I can do this thing too, right? That's how trends begin anyways is just through a group normalization. So I think that's going to help a lot if even one person normalizes and destigmatizes the use of therapy in older generations.
1: That's really amazing to hear that your parents are so supportive of your job now and you know even for me like I started therapy a few months ago and it was obviously very new to my parents Mm because also like with our reputation they were always like you know like keep your problems to yourself, don't be Mm -hmm. super vulnerable unless it's with your family and obviously Mm -hmm. you can't always get that that advice you need or the consultation you need from your family. And so I know even talking to my dad, like therapy honestly brought me and my dad a lot closer. And even talking to him, he was talking to me about a a lot of his problems he had when he was younger and how it related a lot to mine and to my mental health issues and how he really couldn't see a therapist or talk to anyone about it. And it kind of like added baggage to him, but he had to, you know, as he got older, he just got over them somehow, but that he understands where I'm coming from and he's glad that I'm getting the help I need now from someone professionally instead of carrying that weight until I'm older So I thought, though, that's why, like, even for me, when I first started therapy, it was so hard for me to open up in general. And, like, I would lie to my first therapist a lot. But I think after I passed that barrier and that, you know, that wall in my head being like, oh, I can't tell anybody my problems. No one actually cares. It really helped me because now I'm seeing a lot of changes in my mental health and seeing that, you know, I can be the best version of myself that I want to be. And (laughs) I think like, in general, therapy is such a good thing for the Indian community. It just brings people together. Again, like me and my dad are so much closer now. And I'm so glad that therapy was able to bring us together. And my dad is not a vulnerable person in general. So the fact that he opened up and was able to share all of that with me and connect with me meant a lot to me.
2: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I see that a lot. You know, when one person in a family system right a family is a system of made up of parts and we all play a role and when one person starts to change like goes to therapy starts to gain new insight um, starts to become more vulnerable it causes a domino effect in the whole family system so that's what you kind of saw with your dad is you started to open up and he starts to open up at a level maybe he didn't know was appropriate to do with you and maybe that'll influence your mom or you know a sibling of yours or a friend so That's really where it begins is just even one person being open to it. So that's so awesome. I see that a lot. You know, even if our parents aren't going to therapy, us going to therapy, our generation being maybe some of the cycle breakers and doing things differently, we can still have a positive impact on the older generations, even if they're not quite yet ready to explore therapy themselves.
0: Most definitely. I think that is genuinely very valuable. Um, so now kind of transitioning, um, how did you enter the path of becoming a therapist?
2: Yeah, so I think when you ask most therapists, they're going to say they had some personal, you know, historical experience with a mental health concern. And mine was with a very close family member. And I saw them struggling with their mental health for a very long time. And, you know, they could have gotten help. It's it's available. We're, we're in the United States for a psychotherapy and, You know, mental health resources are really prevalent, but they didn't get help mainly only because of the stigma, you know, in the South Asian community around seeking help and what that means about that person. So that really bothered me. And so from a very young age, I started to be an advocate for mental health and probably around 12 or 13, I I just knew, okay, I'm doing something in the mental health field. So it was never really a question for me based on that big, um, momentous, shift that happened when I experienced my family member going through something so hard. So I decided to just in undergrad, go major in psychology. And then I knew I would go get my master's and be a licensed therapist. So it's always been super known to me, which is a blessing because it is hard to sometimes find out what your purpose is or what you want to do with your career. But this was very known to me from a young age.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And um, it's so nice to see that, like, you got inspired by a, fam- a close family member. And now, you know, you're taking the experience to make sure that no one else has to go through that and everybody can get the help that they need. And so how I know I saw on your website that you were trained at, I think, a counseling center. So how exactly does uh, mental health
2: and therapy training work? So it's definitely a process for anyone that wants to be a therapist. It's worth it. It's definitely a process, though. Um, So basically, you don't have to, in your bachelor's degree, major in psychology, even though it can be helpful. Um, But what happens is you have to have a bachelor's degree, and then you can go on to do a master's or a doctorate. And it just depends on what you're wanting to do. You know, Most people that work in counseling, like talk therapy, will stop at a master's because a doctorate level... Um, psychologists is often doing more testing and like clinical laboratory type work. So in order to be a talk therapist, the way that I am, the process is your two to three years of your master's program. It really depends on where you're at. And during that master's program, of course, it's academic, but the main thing that's really training you is your practicum, which is essentially an internship that you start it depends on, you know, your program, but you can start at your last year, I started my second semester, which helped me to move quickly through it. So you basically work with clients, you work at a clinic. And in California, they're all nonprofit clinics that are training sites. So it's super low fee therapy that makes it really accessible for, you know, people that you know can't typically afford psychotherapy. So these training sites have Supervisors and workshops and um, all these training resources that really get you ready to be a therapist, but you kind of just go into it. You know, you are really new to it, and you get a client, and you have a supervisor that helps you throughout. But they are your patient, and you are in charge of their mental health in many ways. Though you can seek help from your supervisor and whatnot, so you do that, and it lasts for as long as it takes you to complete three thousand clinical hours and. Those hours are broken down into different categories like individual work and supervision workshops, working with couples, working with children. So they're broken down into categories, and you have to, you know, reach your maximum in all of the categories. And once you do that, there's lots and lots of paperwork to be signed. And there's a law and ethics exam that you take to understand the legality of everything and how to best protect your clients' um, you know, privacy and confidentiality. Then there's a very large four-hour clinical exam, which just tests absolutely everything. And that is your last step. And once you do that, you're fully licensed. So it's definitely a process, but it's worth it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty exciting, actually. Um, Seems like a very intricate process, but that sounds very cool that, you know, there's a lot of aspects to that, I guess. Yeah. Um, so specifically, uh, you mentioned that, you know, you've worked with a lot of like different like couples, children, um, whatever it is. Uh, so would you say, well, personally for you, what demographic or what group of people do you primarily, you know, kind of uh, work with? Yeah,
2: um, I primarily work with people of color, Um, Definitely lots of South Asians, and I do work a lot with relationships, whether it's premarital or couples that are married, so there's definitely a big relationship um, orientation to the work that I do, as well as working with people that experience intergenerational trauma, family conflict, early childhood trauma, so those would be the main categories.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I saw, I was reading your philosophy on your website. And one thing that I really loved about your philosophy is that you said that, like, the first step is unlearning, which Mm -hmm. I think is so important in general, because, you know, we have all these habits and have this kind of mindset that um, clouds our judgment and clouds the way we view ourselves and our self-esteem. So unlearning definitely is like a big step in Improving your mental health. And one thing I admire about therapists in general so much is that, you know, they can take like the smallest scenario and just like know how it affects your mental health, if that makes sense. Like the smallest things, they'll just know like what kind of analogy that is. So, did that come from like your training? Because that that was a lot of extensive training you were talking about. So, is that how you like identify different signs or, you know, different analogies?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I really think nothing beats just the experience of being in the room with someone in a very vulnerable, intimate, safe space where your patient is opening up up to you so deeply. So I don't think you learn that at school, right? Much of it can come from, you know, observing the way your supervisors work or the way your teachers work. But for me personally, it was my own unique view of looking at the world, and I think Nothing beats just being an intuitive person and doing your own therapy and understanding yourself. That's, I think, what really helps a the therapist to be great. It's not really the academic experience. It's really more of your own personal experience and insight and, in, and intuition, which you can't learn, right? You just have to get in touch with. So, and, you know, who who trained you and who helped you and who you got to observe while you were training, that also helps a lot.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, specifically, I I have I would have a question because our kind of podcast revolves around teenagers, right? And so, what would you say are the main contributing factors to uh, mental issues or kind of problems that teenagers deal with?
2: So, I would say, just in the way that our world works right now, teenagers are definitely experiencing. A lot of self-esteem problems, you know, due to the way that social media is so highly used and, you know, perfection comes up a lot. So I think teenagers are probably experiencing a lot of eating disorders right now as a result of social media, um, self-esteem problems about appearance and perfection. And I also see a lot of bullying concerns, which, you know, cyberbullying. So I think teenagers are experiencing a lot of that. also think teenagers are experiencing a lot of pressure to succeed. You know, there's so many people doing so many things. And I think especially if we're looking at South Asian, uh, teenagers in the South Asian diaspora, there's a lot of pressure to succeed. So that's a really big, you know, that causes imposter syndrome. So that's a really big issue as well. And then I think teenagers also experience what any kid in the South Asian community experiences, whether they're an adult now and they used to be a teenager, right? What they experience is this disconnect from their parents, right? Where the power hierarchy is so that the parent tells you what to do and you can't talk back and they're your elder and you can't have an opinion. And, you know, being that we're in an individualistic world while we're in the States and we're coming from this very collectivistic cultural um rural bound background it can lead to a real a real conflict right so i think teenagers are experiencing that conflict of wanting to individuate and have freedom and do things that their friends are doing while not having maybe the understanding from their not every parent but a lot of parents so that can lead to you know just feeling really shut down and feeling really locked in and like you don't have your freedoms, and that can cause rebellion. It can also cause depression and anxiety. So lots of things teenagers are going through right now.
1: Yeah, I think me and Unjin can um, relate to everything you just said, because we're both in a magnet program. So basically, it's just a program that's more academically driven. And um, so We have a lot of pressure of succeeding in general and have those problems of, you know, a lot of our recent episodes, we've been talking about how we're going to be applying to college this year and we're going to be 18 by the end of this year. And all of that is now like coming up and it's just hit us that we're going to have all of this pressure into the beginning of senior year. So honestly, like what advice would you give to teenagers in general right now who are dealing with those issues?
2: Um, the advice that I would give is one, honestly, it would be great to get a therapist so you can do that unlearning and, you know, figure out how to set boundaries and, you know, be gentle with yourself. I think that's one thing that we all really need to learn is how to just be more compassionate and gentle with ourselves. So that would be one option. Um, and if not that, just really leaning on your support systems to, you know, offset all of the stressors that might be occurring in your life. And then one just small tip is to not take life so seriously, right? Because getting that A or getting that A plus, which many South Asian parents want us to get, is not really what's going to make you have the best life. You know, what's going to make you have the best life is being kind to yourself. So just knowing that even can help you get through a lot.
0: Yeah, I think um, like specifically like the whole thing of the pressure in society as in like everyone is trying to match each other, especially in our community. Uh, When someone does something, uh, it's basically like imperative that someone's going to follow and match with them, especially academically. And, you know, that's like a very, there's always pressure, I guess, to be successful. So that would make a lot of sense. It's like always building a support system, uh, whether it be with friends, whether it be with therapists, whatever it is. I feel like that's that's very important. So, um, I guess what skills do you best use, like in your like therapy sessions, to help your clients?
2: So everybody is trained in a different way during their practicum, you know, era of their training, and the way I was trained and that I lean on heavily for assessment and understanding is uh, the orientation of psychodynamic therapy, and the basis of that is. Understanding that we're all heavily influenced and we learn a lot in the first, you know, zero to about seven years of our life. And through that is where we create self-concepts about ourselves and the world and um, how we trust or don't trust, how open we are, how we see ourselves, how we relate to people. So a lot of what I do in therapy is unpack that early childhood time and the relationships that we had in our early childhood Parents with friends so relationships at school you know with family and see how the things we picked up on because we're all such sponges at a young age how those things that we picked up on shape the way we view ourselves and our perceptions of the world now as adults and if those ways we view ourselves or the rules we created if those are beneficial to us and are helpful and healthy for us now Or if maybe they are holding us back at some level and need to be reformulated, unlearned, as you mentioned, Sanjana, and relearning what might be some healthier ways of really showing up in our world and relating to people. So that's a big basis of how I work. And I do also really look at the intergenerational dynamics. So, you know, knowing your grandparents and how your grandparents treated your parents and how that influenced your parents to treat you and show up with you. How that, you know, down the system, how the intergenerational aspect has affected you and how you can kind of be that cycle breaker and not sort of contribute to the unhealthy intergenerational passing down of stories that could really impact your own future kids if you choose to have them. So definitely a lot of intergenerational work. And then concepts of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which really looks at ideas of how our thoughts, And our beliefs about the world influence our actions. So that's a little bit more specific to um, self-esteem and how we view ourselves and beliefs about the world. So really breaking that down, that usually happens in the middle portion of therapy. And in the beginning, it's really a lot of that psychodynamic early childhood understanding.
1: Yeah, I that, that sounds like a lot of great methods and like a great way to break down everything, especially with someone who is, you know, um, a person of color. And also, like, I know something that a lot of teenagers are dealing with now is there are teenagers that, you know, aren't able to have access to therapy, whether it's financially or just their parents are not okay with it. Um, so how do you, how would you say that those people, like, how, what would they do in that
2: situation? Okay, so there's actually something really great, which is that um, the Board of Behavioral Sciences dev- decided a while ago, and that's what governs um, therapists, what we can do, that anyone older than the age of 12 that's mature and of, you know, uh, clarity of mind, consent to their own therapy. So you don't necessarily need a parent's consent to begin therapy. So that's one thing that's been alleviated. So if you're 12 or older, you can go call a therapist if you're having a really hard time and consent. Um, but then the idea of finances come up. So the best thing to do in that case is to look up a low fee clinic in your area, because as I mentioned before, most therapists that are young and training are training at a low fee nonprofit mental health clinic so you could have fees as low as $5 or $10 per session which even a 15 year old can possibly figure out a way to afford that so there are options for very low fee you know affordable therapy out there and i don't think everybody knows that i think everybody sees therapy as something that's for rich people or only people who can afford it and that's not necessarily true so hopefully those two things influence more teens to just go independently seek therapy themselves.
0: Yeah, that would, that would make a lot of sense. Um, that's actually very exciting that stuff like that is coming out. Um, seems like a great way to kind of transition to the future and kind of open up therapy to everyone. Cause I know as much as people are becoming more open, um, especially for people that are not independent or definitely don't have like financial access to these resources i feel like uh we're moving in a direction where therapy is becoming extremely accessible to everyone which is very exciting um, for future generations especially um and so well i guess kind of delving into like I-, I guess you you specifically said a lot of your your clients or you mainly deal with like people of color whatever it is so um How would you say that, like, for you, Indian culture has affected, like, your views on mental health and working with, you know, clients?
2: I would say that it gave me even greater insight into, you know, how trauma is passed down, right? How trauma is not just our own. Our mental health problems are often not just our own, but they're truly passed down from generation to generation if they aren't processed, Right. So I think it gave me great insight into that because, I mean, there's such, such a huge history of trauma in the South Asian diaspora, you know, wars and poverty and really survivalistic mindsets. And most of our immigrant parents, if we we're a first generation immigrant, most of our immigrant parents came here with this idea of surviving and figuring things out. And that gave them so much drive. And I know how all of us are so grateful for this, right? But there is also this conflict where, I don't know if you've heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but he was a researcher that developed this pyramid of really what all human beings are working towards and what we need in order to just be and and more. So the bottom rung of that is food, shelter, water, you know, your physiological needs. And I think many of our parents come here with, okay, I want to meet my physiological needs, right? I want to buy a house. I want my kids to have food. I want them to be safe. I want, you know, running water. And so those higher rung needs such as love and belongingness or a sense of self-esteem or the tip-top, which is self-actualization, which is just, you know, feeling purpose in this world or, you know, liking the way that you show up in this world, that that stuff gets really neglected. In older generations, and we're taught to kind of neglect those needs ourselves. And that's not right, you know. So, being able to understand the way that our survivalistic mindset that our parents, you know, that we inherited from our parents, how that influences the way we show up in the world can really, really, really help us to move forward and, you know, break free of some of the trauma that does exist. So, I think that's really inherently unique to South Asian backgrounds.
1: Yeah. And I think what is pretty amazing is that, you know, now that people are more open to therapy, we're open to um, erasing that mindset. And also like your dad with the workshop, he, um, he hosted like that's also helping older generations get out of that mindset too, and see Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's important to take care of yourself and take care of your mental health. So I think um, our final question is kind of like, this is a very open-ended question. So honestly, like whatever you would like to say. But um, I think our final question is, what is the best way to achieve happiness? Because I feel like that is the end goal for everyone, is to be happy. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I loved this question. Um, and I love this question. So there's so many ways to achieve happiness. I think that's one thing everyone should know is there's no one way, but there are many ways. And a few of them would be to, you know, express gratitude daily, right, to really even the little stuff like, oh, I love my dog, you know, or I love being able to meet with my friends during lunch, just the small stuff that we forget to really see and notice. So being able to express gratitude, even for one thing, as you wake up in the morning, you know, research shows and I've seen even in my own you know, work. So anecdotally, I've seen how much that can help steer our mind towards the positive. Right. And for whatever reason, our mind often does steer towards the negative. And, you know, there's many reasons for that. One being that we want to protect ourselves from things. So we often will overanalyze the negative in order to feel protected in a way, even though it does not necessarily help. So our brain is a muscle. If we can move it towards other things, such as, oh, I really love this, you know, thing about my life, it can help influence us to create more serotonin in our body, create more dopamine. And that's all simply through practicing gratitude. Um, There's also this concept by one of my favorite researchers, his name is Jonathan Adler. And it's the concept of altruism and how we as a species, you know, biologically, we're meant to be in communities, we're meant to help people, we're meant to share so if we can get back to those biological roots of community, which has really you know, been stalled with the pandemic by joining groups or really making sure to connect with our friends or our family members, our community, you know, it, whether it's through religion and you know going to the Gurdwara, going to temple, going to church, you know, doing things where we are really feeling that group dynamic can also really help our mood and our mental health and also things like charity, right? You can never go to do something for another person and then feel bad about it. I don't think that's ever happened. Anytime we do for others, we typically feel good. And that's actually like a biological phenomenon that's going on. So doing more for others can really help boost our mental health as well. And another really big one is making sure you have a good relationship with yourself. So often a lot of us have this, negative inner critic right It's just this chatty little voice in our head that can make us feel doubt or you know can critique us so really whether you're going to do it through therapy or just through self-monitoring you know noticing how much you're being influenced by that negative inner critic and trying to shift it to more positive self-talk and then you know simple physical things that don't necessarily have to do with mental health but you know our body and mind is so connected exercising is obviously great for mental health, getting daily sunlight, you know, sun is so important with how much I'm sure you guys are studying and doing things or people are working. Sometimes people don't leave the house and they literally don't see the sun. And that's actually really terrible for our bodies and our mental health as well. So, you know, taking a walk, getting sun even for 10 minutes a day can really help. And then I think having, you know, a meditation practice or a practice of being able to slow down and just check in with yourself and see how am I feeling? Because life is so busy all the time. And I know how busy you guys are and how busy teenagers overall are right now in our society. Being able to slow down is really important for your mental health. Because when you're continuously moving so fast and doing so many tasks, your nervous system is very activated, right? And it promotes a fight or flight reaction, which is Really, a reaction to threat. So you want to make sure your body knows it's not in threat, so it doesn't have to constantly fight and can really just slow down and relax. So that can help us to feel more content and happy as well.
1: Yeah, I really like really like what you said. And honestly, like I am a major pessimist, so um, being able to have more optimistic thoughts is something I'm working on. Because even like if I get let's say all A's and then like one B, I'll be stuck up on that one B instead of, you know, being proud of myself for getting good grades on the rest of my classes. So that's definitely something I feel like everybody should work on. Like, I know everybody's, we're all our harshest critic, but at the same time, we should all be our biggest supporter, you know? And even, um, oh my God, wait, I'm sorry. I forgot what I was saying, but, okay. Um, Oh, I was gonna say, like, even with okay, one second. It'll probably come back to me, but um Yeah, no problem. With what you said about the sun being helpful for um people, that's definitely something I will be saying to my parents every time I wanna go out, just so that, you know, they'll let me go out whenever. But yeah, that that was really good advice. Oh, it just came back to me. But what you said about having a good relationship with yourself, I think that's so important. You know, loving yourself is the first step to being happy in general and being content with yourself and raising your self-esteem because when you love yourself then you want to also love other people like I think for me right now one of the big things is that I am a caretaker and very much a people pleaser so I always care about everybody else around me or the the people I care about I show so much care but I forget to show that same care to myself and that's something I'm definitely working a lot more on right now so I think like the relate because before it was that when I'd help someone else, I would be really happy, but that's only what would make me happy, not things I did for myself. And I think that's so important is being able to take time for yourself and make yourself feel good and do things for yourself and not just everyone else. So I really agree with like that being a main source of happiness or finding happiness in general is just loving yourself.
2: Absolutely. And I want to say, you know, I know you're working on the caretaker and the people-pleasing, the fact that you even have insight into this pattern that exists in your life is huge. You know, most people will just go through their life feeling this way, like, oh man, I feel drained. I feel like I'm always doing stuff for people. And like, I don't really feel the reciprocation and not know, you know, how they play a role in that happening. So it makes sense. Your therapist is doing a good job at, and you know, you're doing a great job at just understanding yourself. And that's the only way you can start to achieve change is to know it first to see it and not have it be a blind spot. So I love that you're seeing that. I want you to know that that caretaker people pleasing nature, a lot of it is very much so because of our culture and the way that especially Indian women are raised to be. So breaking through that is, again, going to make you a cycle breaker and help to influence the generations that come after you. So really awesome
1: yeah and obviously like that did come out of therapy and yeah I believe that a lot now too is that knowing what your problems are helps you find the solution that's like a one step closer to finding a solution to it so it's really great now that I know like what habits I have and what cycles I need to break instead of before I was just kind of clueless about it and just going every day how I was Mm -hmm. absolutely 100
0: percent so I think that kind of wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for um, you know, coming on speaking. There was a lot of valuable insight. And yeah, it's truly appreciated.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This was so fun and awesome. And you know, the fact that you guys are even exploring mental health at this age, I wasn't necessarily ready to be in my own therapy, you know, when I was in high school, even though I I wanted it because it's nerve wracking. So Sanjana, that you're in it and Anjun. Maybe you'll explore that someday, you know, just having openness to destigmatizing it is so cool. So it was awesome to meet you guys. And yeah, good luck with everything.
1: Yeah, thank it was so, so nice meeting you too. And thank you so much for, in general, spreading. Um, therapy and openness to therapy and being able to talk about these things and becoming a licensed therapist in the the first place. You're helping so many people out there and that's so nice to see and so nice to hear too. Your insight today was so nice and um, so knowledgeable in general. You're such a nice speaker. I love the way you speak.
0: Thank
1: you. Yeah, so thank you so much for everything you do for not just the Indian community but the whole country in general.
2: Oh, well, that's a huge compliment. Thank you so much, too. And I'm so amazed you guys are doing this while being in a magnet program and having so much going on. So I hope that you find time to rest and take it easy today because you're probably doing so much. But I had such an awesome time being here. So great to meet you. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, guys, I think
1: that wraps up our episode so um, make sure to follow our socials our instagram is at all underscore over dot the place so and that's also our tiktok so make sure to check it out check them both out for updates and um thank you so much Solonia, for joining us again um and guys also you can visit her website which is SaloniaSingtherapy.com to learn more information about her in general and her philosophy. I think it's very insightful. So you should definitely check it out. And, um, yeah, I think that's all. So new episodes every Wednesday. So tune in next Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for listening.
0: Bye. Bye. Let's go!